Welcome back, listeners. I'm Amaya. And I'm Lee. And you're listening to Femme South. Mother and child, come with me. Sisters young and old, now we see. Let's all come together. Mm-hmm. Come together. discussed in our last podcast, Sarah Blaffer Hardy's book, Mother Nature, Maternal Instincts and How They Shape the Human Species. And we had a great discussion about that book. And as we were discussing that book, we realized that this book is really about women's reproductive rights and female choice. So we decided for this podcast, we wanted to interview somebody who has been working in this field for a while. And so our special guest today is our friend, Anne. Anne is a pseudonym for her real name because Anne did not want to disclose her name due to the content of our podcast today. But we're very happy to have her. She is a retired nurse, an artist, and a writer. And she worked in the field of reproductive rights for a few years. And so that's why we've asked her to join us on this podcast and talk about her experience doing that. So welcome, Anne. Hi, thank you. When we were reading Sarah Hardy's book, you know, we really kept coming back to this idea that reproductive rights were aligned with nature, that Various species, well, all species in nature have been exercising their reproductive rights forever. And so we really feel like this is an important topic for us right now because those reproductive rights are being challenged by our current political system. And women's reproductive rights is one of the main reasons why we are so divisive, especially among women politically in this country right now. So it's important to be able to speak about it openly. Amaya and I, and also Anne, had personal experiences with abortion that we want to talk about openly because, you know, it's important not only to speak about abortion as a broad topic, but also if one's gone through the experience of having an abortion, to be able to speak openly and freely about that experience and not feel ashamed to talk about it. Yeah, and I... I was surprised coming to the South how um, women are so silenced compared to perhaps the West Coast um, where I was born. It was shocking to me until I went through the experience that I did this summer that we really are afraid to speak about these things. And they're so important to speak about. And this is one of the reasons why Anne has decided to take a pseudonym and do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. When I when I worked as a, in an abortion clinic as a nurse in the 70s, it was just before uh, people began to be outraged by the, the fact that abortion clinics were open and available. And uh, now it's gotten to be such a contentious issue with abortion doctors being murdered and uh, picketing uh, run riot and abortion clinics, particularly in the South, all but shut down. So I, I have a, a slight anxiety about repercussions if my real name is broadcast. I don't want to be looked up by some um, a vengeful uh, anti-abortion person. And this is a real thing, you know, not something I really considered until all of this happened. And then Anne said, you know, I'm having doubts about sharing my name. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, this is this is a big deal. It is a big deal. And even with your experience, Amaya, I remember when I was talking to you about that and you didn't want to tell anybody. And I said to you, I don't know if you remember this or not, you know, that we really need to be able to speak about our experiences. And the more that we speak about our experiences openly in public, even and I, I am right along with Anne. I mean, there's a, I have a fear that some crazy person is going to come look, you know, come find us and do something, or that in general the general public 
will will be judged or something like that. But that just indicates how much fear and shame is around this topic. But yet when you start to meet women and get to know women and learn about their stories, you, you find that many women have gone through this experience of had abortion, an abortion or multiple abortions. Oh, yeah. I would so. say 95% of the women that I have spoken to have been through that's an abortion. That's interesting. 95%. I'm not kidding you. It's incredible. Once you start to scratch the surface, it's like all of these women have had this experience and nobody's talking about it. It's the same with rape. And the same with rape. Yeah. Absolutely. Or rape or, you know. <laughs> rape or anything else. But even rape, I think women, I mean, if women have to go through a whole nother thing when they speak openly about rape. But even that has support across across political lines, but abortion doesn't, and it's so hard to speak about abortion. Not yet. I think we need an abortion equivalent to the Me Too movement. <gasps> yes, a hashtag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what if, would it yeah. be? <laughs> In fact, I think I saw something not too long ago on social media. If more women spoke out, because I think it was a congresswoman or you know someone, some woman in the spotlight had, had admitted to her own abortion, and if everyone owned up to their own experiences how different the world would look hashtag choice my choice my choice yeah. hashtag my choice yes we're starting it now <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it'll catch on i don't know Good but idea. yeah i do think that that's incredibly important if women would speak up about their abortions mm-hmm. then we would get rid of the taboo of mm-hmm. talking about abortions and having abortions and we can have real conversations about what those experiences are like. And I really like taking this historical perspective that Hardy offers us in her book, that this has been happening since the beginning of time across mm-hmm. all species, that females have had choice and they take that choice again and again to rear children or not, right? It's it's, it's an important choice that women need to, to have and maintain. And it's only in the human species that all of a sudden women's choice rights have been taken away. That doesn't exist in other species. <laughs> Females make the choice. And I also might add that we are reading another book right now about witches and the burning of witches. And that was one of the attacks on women uh, in the Middle Ages you know, women were being burned at the stake for this kind of thing, for their role in their own reproductive rights. That's really interesting. When I was growing up in the Deep South in the 50s, um, a woman lived through the woods who was a granny midwife, but not many people knew about it. But more to the point, as I got older, I heard my mother and other women speak of her as, quote-unquote, well, she was a herbalist, speak of her as being able to end pregnancies. But it was all hush-hush. It was just within the circles of the women. I would wager that their husbands didn't know a thing about it. But she used, I don't know what she did. I'm not absolutely sure she did anything. I was just like a fly on the wall paying attention. But I think it used to happen, you know, not witches in the Salem witch trial witches, but it's always happened. And women kept it to themselves or even in more localized communities now that we're all more global and I don't really know if that's been a good thing in terms of secrecy and I mean people have women have handled it historically right women that has been women's roles uh historically uh to be you know midwives to be healers to handle reproduction Mm -hmm. and ending pregnancies for a very long time in our history and so, again, going back to just real quick, the book that we're reading, I don't want to get into that because that's going to be a whole nother podcast. But um, one of the reasons why women were attacked for that role was because it was frowned upon. I mean, it was considered criminal. And, you know, so that was one of the things that well, they it were was attacked a, It was for. a front against men. It was an affront against yeah. men. It was a front against, an affront against female power, exactly. you know, because reproductive yeah. rights is aligned with female power, you know, or empowerment. There's the female power, but there's also the fact that some men, regardless of the situation, they want to reproduce. They don't take the the responsibility, but it's the, the insult that 
their child or their potential child won't exist in the world. It has nothing to do with the, the child itself or the, even the women, you know, have my baby. No difference between primates <laughs> and male gorillas. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Only they will eat other <laughs> children. <laughs> so there's more resources to have their own. Right, that's actually a great segue into resources and why it's so important to really align women's reproductive rights with women's well-being because you know women need to consider their resources and I think that this isn't something that we're really talking about when we talk about abortions it just seems to be a morality issue for those I guess that are on the other side that um, either are pro-life it just seems to be all about morality but they don't take into consideration or maybe we're not talking enough about this how female choice and reproduction rights plays into a woman's ability to take care of herself throughout her whole life or whether or not a woman can even ha even has the resources to take care of a child if she weren't allowed to have an abortion because that's important too especially when we look at young girls teenage girls or women who haven't who have find themselves pregnant and haven't been able to do anything to establish themselves in the world well young and perhaps older i'm i'm 36 and this past summer i found myself pregnant a week later my partner walked out of my life and i had to make the decision do i keep this child and raise it as a single mother or do I make the decision, the very hard decision, to terminate the pregnancy? And for me, at, at 36, it was a difficult decision. And resources played a huge part. If I had had a partner who wanted to stay with me and raise the child with me, then the decision would have been different. But for me, to raise a child in this world by myself... When I don't have a home, I'm still traveling. <laughs> I haven't finished graduate school. You know, I am a yoga teacher and still trying to get my, you know, profession off the ground. It's, it's not realistic. I don't have the resources to bring a child in this world. And this is a, I mean, this is like the probably number one decision and reason why women would choose to have or not to have. I mean, this is it. And this is our choice. We need to have that choice. Or if we had support, we could make a different... I mean, if we had the financial and or the social support to have to be a single mom and also have a life. Yeah. You know. If we were still living in community. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And we're not. You know, that reminds me of the conference that we went to we went to a women's conference and there were hundreds of women there and um, we had a, an amazing guest speaker, but she got up and discussed her experience raising a child when she was very young. She got pregnant when she was very young and she was very proud of the fact that she never took any assistance from the government, never got on welfare, even though she qualified and even though she was a young mother. She was very much proud that she did not take that support. And so the message that there's shame in taking government support mm -hmm. is being reinforced by women, great women that are doing great things. And that sort of narrative that we're used to telling ourselves about the American dream, that the American dream means doing everything on your own, not asking for help, not taking help. Mm -hmm. And then also being expected as a single mother in her case and in many women's case to do so much, so much, take care of a child and work and try to support a whole family on mm -hmm. one income by yourself. Mm -hmm. How can you do that and not ask for help? Well, it's it sounds punitive. But yeah. that, that reminds me of briefly of a sort of double standard. Many times women who choose to have an abortion are considered selfish, only thinking of themselves. They don't want to be single moms. But I've known, I know one case in particular, a woman chose to have the child and be a single mom, and she was branded selfish because she wanted the child. 
and she couldn't she couldn't give the child all the things that other coupled mothers could so sort of a damned if you do damned if you don't thing built in in some circles yeah and the, the statistics are that you know children that aren't raised with a father and a mother in the home don't do as well. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, there are, of mm-hmm. course, exceptions, but it's true. And so a woman needs to even consider that. What is the fate of this child being raised with a mother who's working all the time, just trying to make money to survive mm-hmm. with no father in the home? Well, when I was pregnant, I mean, I've worked as a nurse in abortion clinic, but I've also had an abortion. When I was pregnant, I went to an organization, this is uh, in Europe, that was a, an organization for single parents, and I had a conversation with a woman at the, at the local center. I was trying to decide whether to have this child or not because the child's father didn't want to know, and I had no financial support because I was out of the country. The, the woman who headed this organization uh, said she had a 12-year-old son, and she could never provide enough for him. She always felt guilty. She always worked. She could never give him the sneakers to match his kid, his peers. You know, she said it was a it was an endless exercise in never being good enough. And she actually advised me. And she said, you know, I love my son, but I advise you not to have this child, which I thought was stunning, considering that she had the child, her child. It's a pretty it's a pretty heavy statement. Mm-hmm. about the experience honest mm. statement mm. right I had my abortion when I was young 16 somewhere around 16 and I actually at first thought I wanted to have it because the stigma against having an abortion so my family my parents were very supportive of me when I was young and I you know my plan at first was to have the baby and give it up for adoption because we couldn't I could not take care of it my parents were not well off they didn't have a lot of money themselves and I certainly didn't have any way to support a child but then I ended up getting ended up getting really sick I get I get really sick when I get pregnant I have two kids now and the same happens every single time I get pregnant I'm in the hospital like for the first three months Mm -hmm. and so after a few weeks of being really sick I decided to have the abortion and my parents were very supportive and, you know, I had it. And I, I think back now, if I would have had that child, it would have been very difficult for me probably to give that child up. And then, and then if I actually didn't give it up and had it, I wouldn't have been, a, I mean, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. Who knows where I would be? Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you can't look back and say where you would be, but I know that I would be struggling. I know that I may not have gone to school. I may not had the opportunities in the education that I've had as a teenage mother. I mean, that's an enormous responsibility and it is life changing, Mm -hmm. you know, and to ask a young girl or a woman of any age to take on that responsibility simply for moral reasons, which we could even talk about, you know, (laughs) that it's unfair. I think part of the uh, conversation about abortion as murder is that it, it actually goes back to for women to have sex is is a, an immoral thing as well. I mean, how much can you back up? But I, a feed, terminating a pregnancy, in my mind, is not murdering a baby. And I think it's a very emotional argument that you see bumper stickers about babies, et cetera, et cetera. And it gets to the heart of a lot of people, and particularly women who, for whatever their reason, they're on that side of the argument. Um, and it's and it's persuasive. There's no thinking after that. You know, abortion is murdering a baby is, I'm sorry, if, 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 you're, if you're a devout Catholic, if whatever your reasons, then there's no question. But the crazy thing is... Uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting a bit off on a tangent. A good friend of mine worked for the public health department in West Texas with a education, and she told me that she was stunned to discover that, by and large, the abortions performed, according to statistics, in West Texas were teenage, uh, you know, teenage girls, obviously unmarried, from. Um, evangelistic households because they could never acknowledge that they were sexually active so they got pregnant so they were never on birth control because they couldn't acknowledge they were sexual 
and then they got pregnant, and then they would have abortions, and then it was all a great shame and secret. But these are from households who were against abortion, the sort of hypocrisy of it all, and how, I don't remember the statistics, but it was it was very lopsided. Lee, that's your story. Yeah, that's my story, because my parents weren't uh, super Christian uh, whenever I was younger, so it wasn't necessarily that, but I remember having a conversation with my mother when I was young, uh, and I asked her for birth control. My friends, some of my friends had birth control, and I asked her, and she told me no, and she told me no because she said that if she gave me birth control, that would be the same as giving me consent, and so I went out in the world, and what happens? I got pregnant, and yeah, that's a real problem to have a total hard line against giving women birth control. I mean, and my parents probably, I don't know if this is true or not. I would, I need to ask my brother. I had a brother, but he probably received condoms, but I couldn't get birth control. And so the double standard there, that, that reproductive responsibility falls on the man where, but whenever the female gets pregnant, that responsibility oftentimes goes out the window. And um, yeah, so that's a problem. If you can't, if you don't believe in abortion, then load your daughter <laughs> up with birth control. Wow. Help her out, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. because no matter how much you preach abstinence, the reality is, is that, you know, we're human and we're mm. sexual creatures and we need to learn how to honor and respect our bodies and our sexuality mm. and not be ashamed and fearful, you know, because when there's confusion, when you're not talking to your kids about honoring your sexuality and your body, then there's confusion there. And in that confusion, children are going to do, young, young mm. adults are going to do what young adults are going to do, operating without enough information. Mm. I think the best way to keep abortions down is to inform and, and have open discussions with your young your children. And, and of course, the punishment's always on the female. I mean, the, the, guys, yeah. the guys don't get the repercussions, right. the responsibility, nothing. Some of them don't even know. Yeah. In my case, the person yeah. didn't even know. Yeah, yeah. And some of them know, and they don't care. In your so case, right. they don't care. Right. <laughs> right. He didn't care. Didn't care. Mm -hmm. And it's just, and I've, I've never been pregnant before. This was my mm -hmm. first time being pregnant, and I didn't realize how much everything changes when you're pregnant. And I got sick. I was super sick. Just super sick. You know? And that's a lot for a woman to have to go through. The pregnancy and then the decision. It's not an easy decision. But then keeping a child, <laughs> that's a lifelong responsibility. And this is what I was thinking, you know? Right now we have a happy medium between pro-life and pro-choice. We have trimester. The first trimester is when you have the opportunity to have an abortion. After that, no. Is that not a happy medium between pro-choice, pro-life? We've got a compromise here, guys. You know? It's not like women are saying, I, seven months in, I'm, I'm done. Take mm -hmm. it out. Mm -hmm. I don't want it anymore. Mm -hmm. Or when it's, you know, birthed, they're saying, nope, that's it kill it mm -hmm. as other animal species do or other cultures <laughs> or other cultures do right mm -hmm. here we've got a really nice happy medium mm -hmm. yeah i agree with that because we do need to come together this again this issue is so divisive for women right now and we need to come together i don't think that anybody that's on the pro-choice side is saying you know, we love abortions, bring on the abortions, just like what you're saying. But to completely outlaw it, to make it illegal, isn't going to get rid of it. First of all, history tells us that it is not going to get rid of the abortion. It's just going to drive it underground and make it unsafe. So if anybody's operating under the illusion that it's going to get rid of abortion, that's not been the case, hmm. you know, ever. ever. So we need to do it safely. And then Come together on resources to help women. If you're pro-life, then be pro-contraception, pro-information. Pro-women life. Pro-women <laughs> life. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. a balance there. We need mm -hmm. to take care of our women, and we need to take care of our children. 
and we need to do whatever we can to eliminate the need for the abortion, first of all. And then, but if that, if, but if it's needed, then give women support, love women, give women support, mm-hmm. realize that this is an essential part of many women's lives. It's important and we have to treat it as such. The pro-lifers will tell you that there's plenty of support. They'll tell you outside protesting at the abortion clinic, well, you can just give it up for adoption. You know, like, you have support. It's like, keep the baby. I'm like, who's going to pay for the baby? You've got plenty of support. It's like, really, are you going to pay for it? Are you going to be with Mm -hmm. me while I'm going through this Mm -hmm. pregnancy? And then afterwards, you're going to take care of the baby. You're going to help me? You, protester, you're going to help me. It's like, it's so insane, this whole conversation. You know, who are these people that they think they have any kind of say over my life and my decisions? You, you weren't in the abortion clinic when there were protesters. Have you been around when there were protesters? Have you? Oh, there were protesters when I got my abortion many years ago. That's right. There were protesters. Yours was in Mobile, right? Mine was in Mobile, and unfortunately, that clinic has closed. But what was that? At least 20 years ago, there were protesters, and they were saying those things. We can help you. You have support. And no, (laughs) they're not going to help me. And even after having my two children willingly, I see how women are isolated. I see how there's a lot of talk about helping women and supporting women. But when it comes down to it, there isn't a lot of support. We are still afraid to ask for help. And so women can feel very isolated. And I, I spent a lot of time without help from their father for many different reasons, some of which were just him being in the military and being deployed and having to raise my kids on my own and even going to school while I was doing that. That's an enormously difficult job, but I chose to do it. And so I had the will to do it and I did it and it was hard. If I didn't have the will to do it, if I didn't choose to do it, if I was younger and had less resources than I had at the time that I was doing it, it would have been nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. And I would have been depressed. I, I don't know what I would have been like, but I was, you know, it was hard enough with the resources that I did have. I was thinking this is slightly off that, but we're talking about support, how, um, how it would be good if women who had abortions, if they could acknowledge it openly there could be support groups for that because it's not an easy decision no matter what your circumstances it's not a happy situation to find yourself in and if every woman who'd had an abortion could in the way that there are um, divorce groups etc and I think in other parts of the country there are post-abortion support groups just to say okay even if you meet once and there's a ritual for the for the pregnancy you didn't carry to term, that that is a closure sort of thing and a useful thing mm-hmm. for for a woman's experience that no one ever acknowledges openly. In the same way that we brush it all under the carpet, we no, no one talks about their abortion, no one talks about the difficulty of making the choice or the circumstances whereby the father of that child disappeared or wasn't suitable. You know, it's a, it's a transition. It's an experience that you don't, forget and um which is not me saying you shouldn't have abortion but it's me saying that women need to speak up about it and support each other for it yeah i think i actually think it's happening i know a girlfriend of mine in california had an abortion just a few weeks after mine and um she found a support group in california fabulous and she's been getting help from that group and so actually we can post um, I'll, I'll get the name of that, and maybe we can find some others and we can post it yeah, in the notes for this great. podcast. But that, but that could be like a, a nationwide movement, because I'd sort of heard of this but don't really know it firsthand. I think that's important. I mean, I'm past childbearing years, but certainly older women can support younger women for making those decisions mm-hmm. and living with them, and living with all the other repercussions, the social, the fam- familial, whatever, the yeah, and I just, I want to put it out there that, I mean, we've said this so many times, it's not an easy decision to make. Mm-hmm. A woman that is pregnant that has connected with this fetus, not quite a baby yet, but it is something growing in her body. Her body's shifting, it's changing. Things are, 
her, her, her whole world changes when she becomes pregnant. It is a really difficult decision to make. It really is. And that's an important point because the pro-choicers aren't out there saying, yes, abortion, let's do it. I I'll have one, definitely. If I get pregnant, I'm just going to have an abortion. No, it doesn't work that way. No, no. <laughs> it's actually really a difficult decision. One day you want to keep it. The other day you don't. You're back and forth the whole time. It's so difficult. Mm -hmm. Psychologically. Yeah. We're, we're, we're psychologically primed to have these kids, and, and but we're not supported, basically. Yeah. Yeah. We're not supported. Yeah. And, and on top of that, we're not given the choice many times for whatever our reasons. Yeah. And it was hard here in the South. Like Lee said, Mobile, the clinic was closed. Pensacola was on its way out, was closing down, but didn't make that clear. And so I had several appointments that last minute were canceled, which then prolonged this whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so finally, you know, I thought I'd have to go back to California. I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, and this is a huge expense, and this is a lot of time away from my work. This is, I'm sick. Like, I, it took me two months away from everything that I had been doing prior to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And finally, the only clinic I could find was up in Montgomery, which this is a, it's a three-appointment series. So you go drive up to Montgomery, which is three hours up there, three hours back. I was pretty sick. My parents drove me. I was so fortunate to have that support. So many women don't. They have a safe house up there right next to the clinic that w women who have to drive a long distance can stay there overnight if they need to. Because the second appointment is the abortion. And we have to get there really early in the morning because it's first come, first serve. It's only one day a week they do the procedure. It's only a 10-minute procedure, yet you have to get there at 5 in the morning, 6 in the morning to get on a, a list, and you may be waiting 7 hours. So I was the last person in, 36 women that day. I had to wait 7 hours to have a 10-minute procedure. And it was a really interesting experience. You know, protesters outside, the volunteers had these bright orange vests on, umbrellas to shelter, shade you from all the protesters, and these loud speakers hanging from their vests to drown out the protesters. And they would take you from your car into the clinic. If you needed to go to the safe house for some coffee, they'd take you sheltered so you wouldn't see the protesters. It was such an incredible experience. I have to say, 36 women, all walks of life, all races, all cultures, seriously. It was amazing. And we, in all ages, really, up until, you know, 40 Incredible experience, really. Question. Yeah. How much did it cost? It cost $600. Which is prohibitive to a lot of women. It, it, it was. Well, and the I thought... The drive and the cost and the, both prohibitive. And the drive and the hotel and the three appointments, right? This is a lot for a woman. And with no clinics down south, mm -hmm. southern Alabama, this is... This is... Not many women can actually do this. And if yeah. you don't have support, you know, mm -hmm. thank God I had my parents because I was so sick that I couldn't drive myself. Right. And some women, women can't get off work and, and all, they have kids at home or whatever their situation. Yeah. 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 $600. Wow. And speaking with the women in the clinic, hearing their stories, I would say the majority of them did not have support from partners. And it was a hard decision for them to make. Um, there were only five men in the clinic, which were partners, their supportive partners, sitting with them during the day. My father was in and out. It was so sweet. <laughs> but I felt like, yeah, I like really saw the lack of support and the difficult decision these women were making and the fact that it's all walks of life. We're not talking just young uneducated, poor women. No, no, this is all women, all women. 
It's a real thing. I didn't realize until this happened to me. And now the compassion that I have for women, ugh, so much, so much greater, what we have to go through. What was your experience like working in the abortion clinic? Um, I was a nurse, a registered nurse that assisted the physician. And um, this was in the late 70s in northern Alabama. I didn't know otherwise until I'd had an abortion myself overseas, but the way this was done at the time, the abortions were only performed on Saturday morning. The procedure, the the women who were who came in, they were given five milligrams of Valium. They were dilated. It was a it was a suction procedure. They weren't given anything for discomfort because the the idea or the claim was that the cervix didn't have any pain receptors, which now that I have had children and have had an abortion, I have um, I have an argument against that. But basically. Relative to my own experience overseas, where you were given an IV anesthetic, so you were out for a very, for about five or ten minutes, versus what I assisted the doctors with in northern Alabama, where you were very much awake, uh, it seemed pretty barbaric and even punitive. Uh, you know, you don't get anything for anything. It's just this is happening to you. Two situations really stick out in my memory. Uh, one was a woman who was 40 uh, who had gotten pregnant to a college boy and she didn't want at age 40 to be raising this child and, and the father of the child was about 25. So she told him she had made this appointment uh, to have an abortion and uh, two days before the Saturday of the abortion he committed suicide. So she's on this abortion table with this trauma. I mean, you know, because he wanted her to have his child. This is what, I mean, she was a wreck, as you might imagine. And another episode that uh, really stuck with me was an 11-year-old girl who obviously her mother had to sign for her. And I'm not sure why the mother was allowed into the procedure room, but the mother stood there during the whole procedure reading the Bible to this 11-year-old child while the procedure was going on. And these, to me, are just extreme, I mean, who knows what uh, other things were going on in all these women's personal lives. It's just not a simple thing, and, uh, and, and, and the culture punishes you. And silences you. And silences you. And when I had an abortion, I went to a clinic. People were friendly. There wasn't, um, there wasn't a, an overt stigma that I could, I didn't pick up any stigma about it. And I was put to sleep, and then I woke up. Uh, does that mean I was cheated from the experience? Not really, because it was a it was a traumatic decision to make. But I didn't suffer pain, and I didn't suffer crazy anxiety, and I didn't suffer the whatever went on during the procedure itself, which I think is, um, depending upon your comfort with physicality, can be pretty upsetting. Definitely. I'm thinking about my experience, and it was a bit dramatic, mm. for sure. Wow, and you know, they did give us pain pills, and I don't know what they were, but they weren't, they weren't very strong. And my dad had given me a Vicodin, just in case. And so what they do is, it's you know a long day, and you're sitting in the waiting room, and throughout the day, they take your vitals, and then, and then just before you go in for the procedure, they put you in another separate room where you change your clothes, and they give you some, you know, pain pill and some anxiety pill. And then you're sitting in this small waiting room with about six women. And that's when the women start to talk. Because, and I don't know if everyone was experiencing this, but I was experiencing this. In the large waiting room, you just... You're sort of just holding it together. I was. I was actually reading Mother Nature, believe it or not, by Sarah Hardy. And it was giving me, it was, it was really giving me a lot of a lot more confidence in my decision and like this is okay. This is good. I can do this. But I was barely holding it together. And then we went into the small waiting room, and that's when the women started talking and really sharing their stories. And I was, the, I was the last woman of the day. 
And so here I'm talking with all these women that have been sitting in the clinic all day, all day. And we're sharing stories. And I had this Vicodin in my pocket and I was thinking about taking it, but this woman sitting across from me was so nervous, so nervous and afraid. And, and I said, you know what? I have this extra pain pill, you know, this painkiller. Do you want it? And she's like, oh my God, yes, thank you. And I gave it to her and I was like, I knew I took it for my father for some, for something, maybe not for myself, but for mm -hmm. her. And I was so glad that I could give her just a little more of something, a little bit more of support, you know, because then we go off by ourselves into the procedure room to do the procedure and go home by yourself and go home by ourselves. You mm -hmm. know, it's just thinking about it. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. And there's also the whole conversation about pre-Roe versus Wade, which is what got me interested in all this in the beginning, because I was at university before Roe versus Wade, before abortion was legal. And I had two friends who got pregnant. One, this was in Mississippi, one went to Birmingham, Alabama, and had, it was so scary, it was somebody told somebody and whispered something to somebody, and you couldn't say it out loud, and a long string of maybes to find the phone number of this mysterious anonymous person who would do this mysterious, you didn't know what procedure, and getting someone to take you there without telling them why you were going. I mean, there was this cloud around it. And then the this friend of mine, when she came back, I said, what happened? What did they do? And she said, I don't want to talk about it. It terrified me because, you know, this is in the era of coat hangers, though mm. she did say this was not a coat hanger. And then my other friend who got pregnant, someone she knew in Michigan said he knew a place she could have an abortion if she could just get from Mississippi to Michigan, which wasn't an easy thing for, you know, an 18-year-old college kid. And she ended up having the child. But those experiences, and thankfully for me, I didn't get pregnant prior to Roe versus Wade, but it, they really made such an impression on me of the alternatives if, if you can't get legal abortion. If you can't get a safe abortion, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. Did that determine you wanting to it was or big, influence? It was certainly a big influence, absolutely. Yeah, because these were both women I was close to. One was a roommate and the other was a good friend. And the one who had the abortion... I was just terrified for her. She was terrified, too. And and also the fact that she felt fortunate to have found, you know, it was her boyfriend asked somebody who asked somebody who asked somebody, and she felt fortunate to have finally found a resource, a secret resource, but she didn't know the safety of the resource. She didn't know anything about the background of the resource. She didn't know anything. She didn't know what she was going in. She was going into it completely blind. I mean, we're all sort of going into it completely blind, mm -hmm. right? There isn't any option but the Montgomery Clinic mm. for women around here. But if it's we don't all have a if choice, it's reversed. I know we'll be more. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that also leaves it for women of means can go somewhere. They can go out of the country. They can. It's always the case. Women who have more money can figure it out easier. Not necessarily always figure it out, but that brings up a whole different conversation about economics and class. And Right. That's an important conversation to have, though, mm. because the women who can't access the abortion clinic are the ones that are going to be needing the most help economically. So they're, gonna, they're the ones that are going to be relying on government support. There you go. Yeah. So how... And the same people who are anti-abortion don't want to give them support. Off, I mean, that's a generalization, but often... You know, and this is just, it takes two people to make a baby. Two people. You know, and this is what just blew me away. It's, I was left to deal with it and pay for it. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know if he's, you know, dealing with his own issues. But he doesn't but have to. And you have to. I have to. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't have to. And men can just walk away, even though they are part of the problem. It's. Yeah. That double standard. They can walk away and continue to have sex way more freely than we are yeah. allowed to because they don't have, because the system is in place, they don't have the same fears that we have. Mm. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Mm -hmm. 
boys can, e- even if they do decide to have some responsibility, they can write a check. Mm-hmm. And that is as far as it goes. And I don't want to speak so generally to ignore that, you know, there are some men out there that genuinely want to have children and want to be a part of this decision with their, mm-hmm. their partners. But so many experiences are not that. And they can just walk away. And that's pretty important. You know, they can walk away without any responsibility and they continue. Because, you know, if you, you said back up, we can back up really far. Mm-hmm. We can back up to women's sexuality mm-hmm. and talk about women's sexuality mm-hmm. and why we struggle so much and why it isn't the same for men. And a part of that, of course, is that women, I mean, men ultimately can just walk away, but we can never walk away. Even if we come to terms with and come to peace with our decisions, it's still there. Mm-hmm. I came to peace with my abortion when I was younger, but it took me a while. And I think back on it, did it take me a while? Because I, uh, obviously, because I struggled with the decision, just, you know, of of aborting something that was in my body. But also I struggled because there was so, so much shame around it. I couldn't tell anybody. I only told one person and that was my best friend. My family knew and they were very supportive, but generally speaking, I couldn't tell anybody. You know, so I didn't have anybody to talk to really about it. Well, and there would have been shame if you'd gone, to, uh, if you'd carried the pregnancy through and given it up for abortion. There would have been shame if you'd kept it. There's a built-in shame because you would, you were a sexually active. Female. Right, and there That's was built the exactly, yeah. So yeah. going back to women and women's sexuality, mm-hmm. there's just shame around women's sexuality mm-hmm. that you should dare. Yeah, right. And I want to talk about this more because. I was surprised. My parents are pretty liberal, and we're here in the South, and this happened to me, and my, you know, they wanted me to keep quiet about it. Mm-hmm. And my dad said something like, you know, you don't want to look like the victim. There's that. He said to me, men don't talk about prostate cancer, like, at the dinner table. It's like, Men don't talk about their issues like this. So why do you think you need to talk about the abortion and your issues? And I thought, well, this is interesting. Prostate cancer isn't politicized. Exactly. That's, I mean, a, that's not a good comparison. I mean, <laughs> there people, isn't a good comparison. People are yeah. outside the oncology lab with their pickets saying you shouldn't get chemo, right? Yeah. I mean, it's different. It's apples to oranges. But he's a guy, so... Yeah. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. It's like, what about this victim thing? Yeah, what do you mean by that? I don't know. Maybe because this man walked away out of my life, and I'm the victim here, left by myself, without a partner, have to deal with a pregnancy. It's a story that I could go into victimhood about. Feel sorry for me. I've had to deal with this all on my own. There's but you victimhood can have, about But it. you can have all those experiences. He walked away. You were left having to deal with it without saying, feel sorry for me. You can just say, this is what happened. It's not fair. This is what happened. It's traumatic without poor me. Right. To me, that's you don't have to be pitiful, if, as we say in the South, pitiable, because something happened to you that everyone else has an issue with. Right. So on so many levels, we're silenced. I find that fascinating about the victim thing because it's such a loaded word. Victim is such a loaded word. You throw that out. Nobody wants to be the victim because that's just not cool. But there are other words to substitute for that word that say, I, I was the recipient of this situation. Victim implies it's your fault. Victim implies that you're not strong. You know, victim implies all these negative things. You could say, I mean, it happens with rape victims versus rape survivors. This is exactly it, right? So if I was a strong woman, Uh you know, a strong person, I would just, I would handle this. And still not talk about the dinner table, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because strong women don't need to talk about things. No, we don't need to talk about Uh it. No. We handle it, we learn, we grow, and we move on. And we never mention it. And we never mention it again. Yeah. Right. Same with, well, a lot of things, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Rape, mm-hmm. abuse, mm-hmm. 
yeah. the salt. Yeah, you know what to be the the weak woman. Yeah. yeah. And that's just a twist on not taking responsibility for the man's actions. I think that is a social twist on if you can keep women in that mindset. If you're, if you're a domestic violence recipient, you know, you're a, a abused woman and you stay in that situation, there's a there's a syndrome for that when you fall in love with your abuser or whatever. You know, you're just a sad situation. Instead of it it it, it always gets it always leaves the guy gets the guy off the hook. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. And it's like we're always worried about what's gonna happen to the guy. Yeah. To the assaulter, to the mm. abuser, to the deserter, who's a man. Yeah. What about the woman? Yeah. Again, going back to that women's conference, the woman that got up and spoke about her experience, the guest speaker, she also used the word victim. And she said very proudfully that she didn't want to be a victim, right? I think the word victim has become thrown around to, like you said, to just whoever the perpetrator is, to absolve them of their responsibility. They're tired of hearing the same narrative. They're really tired of hearing about it and they're not doing anything about it. And so we've internalized, women, we've internalized this exhaustion on their mm -hmm. end. Mm -hmm. um, women, and then this, you know, plays in for her situation, it was race. But we've taken on this word now and we're trying so hard not to be victims. But as we're trying not to be victims, we're not talking about our problems realistically. We're denying our experiences. We're denying our experiences. We're denying the system. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't keep denying the system. Mm -hmm. And this, again, is not placing blame necessarily on the individual man. It's mm -hmm. placing blame on a system that isn't working. And, and language. And language. You know, so language, I yeah. don't, I'm not afraid to, I'm not afraid of the word to be victimized or to say that, I might be a victim in a certain situation. I think we need to start really evaluating that word and how we're using it. I think that's interesting because my uh, partner of 30 something years just walked out on me, not because of a pregnancy, but someone's and, and, and I was devastated and still am to some extent. But someone used that word to me in the same way. You don't want to be seen as a victim. I'm thinking this is my whole life that's been turned inside out, whatever I'm perceived as by the outside world and on one hand it's irrelevant to me on the other hand why are you so worried if I'm perceived as a victim I didn't walk out he left so okay he was the one with the action the action verb versus the passive verb and that gets you know it's like the extrovert versus the introvert there's some things you get applauded for and other things not this is a huge problem we need support mm. for our trauma we need mm. support to grieve we need support. People need to come up alongside us and say, I feel you. I mm -hmm. see you. Mm -hmm. Tell me, mm -hmm. what are you going through? Mm -hmm. Because people don't want to feel our pain. So it's easy to label us as a victim. Or to tell us there's something wrong with us for feeling it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's a double punishment or a triple. I mean, it just keeps, it's like dominoes. You know, you can't, do, you can't talk about it. You can't feel what you feel. It must be your fault. You're sexual or, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. Pathological system. And yeah. keep going because we're a fast paced culture and we don't have time for grief. Yeah. yeah. And know? it also threatens the ones of us who haven't processed our own grief about what our, all our reasons. Don't bring up something that's going to touch on something that I have to deal with. Mm, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And grief is just an emotion, just like joy, mm -hmm. bliss, mm -hmm. happiness, mm -hmm. excitement, mm -hmm. grief, sadness, anger. It's all the same. Well, things are polarized, so it's like power, powerless, mm -hmm. happy, sad. You know, so the whole world sees everything in terms of either or, and there you go, mm -hmm. male, female, day, night. Well, we are in the culture of the power of positive thinking right now, too. And the power of positive thinking is a great thing, but ignores the trauma that needs <laughs> to be dealt with to get to the positive thinking. And maybe it's the chicken and the egg syndrome. The more you think positively, the more you deal with your trauma. But there's something missing there. And it is not being able to process the trauma, not being able to speak openly about the trauma, being embarrassed about one's trauma. 
It's a blame. You know, it's a blame. I mean, we don't want to admit that we have trauma and that we're unhappy mm-hmm. and we're not on board with positive thinking or mm-hmm. that we haven't been able to will gratitude every day in our lives. We can't skip over dealing with trauma to get to that happy place. We have to be able to deal with our trauma and we have to be able to honor emotion too, because mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. and emotion, those two things have gone hand in hand and they've been seen as a weakness. I can't tell you how many times I hear my students say something along this effect. Women can't do this job because they're emotional or something like that. I mean, women can do what's the job. wrong with emotion. Everybody's emotional. Yeah, we're all emotional. Everybody, both men and women are emotional. The problem isn't that we're emotional or not emotional. It's that we're not being able to honor and deal with our emotions and emotions are important. And they're of all ranges. They're not just good or bad. You know, there's a full spectrum of emotions that we are all feeling. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it seems so obvious that it's, (laughs) you know, we get, we get it. But so many other people don't get it. They don't get it because they're told just to be strong. Don't voice your emotions. Don't be a victim, Mm -hmm. you know, and on and on and on. There are reasons why people don't get it. It's because they've repressed it. They've been told not to feel, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, our feelings are bad or feelings are bad. I think that it's interesting that abortion is, is not generally considered traumatic. It's just a thing. It's a procedure. But now that PTSD and their um, trauma treatments, if you will, et cetera, the trauma is a word that you hear a lot more, but I don't hear it associated with abortion. And abortion can be very traumatic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And this kind of ties in everything we've just been saying, you know, with loss of a partner, mm-hmm. loss of a, you know, a pregnancy, assault, rape, abuse, all of these things that happen to us are traumas. And in order for us to heal from traumas, we need to talk about it and have support and be seen and valued for our experience. And what's been happening that I see in the South, especially from my experience, is we're silenced about this. We're not given the space to talk about it and heal. And then we're isolated and we think, I'm the only one. I'm so happy, Lee, that you guided me to start talking openly about my experience. I was in such a state that I listened to the advice to keep it quiet. And I was alone, suffering, dealing with this by myself. And I'm a strong woman. And I thought, I can do this. I've got it. But I'm still recovering. Yeah, I'm still recovering. So I'm grateful for this opportunity to talk about this openly. Yeah. And for your support, Lee. <laughs> Try not to cry about it. <laughs> well, you're welcome. I mean, I think it's important. I think I'm still 20-something years later processing things that I w- didn't, um, didn't feel like I could process that I just sort of pushed down when I was younger. And I'm not emotional in the sense that this was an experience that I had and this was a traumatic experience that I had. My emotion doesn't come from that. My emotion comes from gratitude that my parents were there to support me, that I had at least somebody there that loved me and could walk and talk me through this experience. And I feel very sad that that might be being taken away for so many women because we need to support our women one way or another, whether they have the child or whether they don't have the child. Women need to be supported. And for me, that makes me emotional when we threaten to take that away from women. Mm-hmm. When you know the isolation and the loneliness that women feel when they're not able to talk about these things. And this is why we're doing this. This is why we have this podcast. This is why we're trying to talk about these really difficult subjects and put ourselves on the line here because you know like I like you said it's it's kind of scary to talk about this in this area in the south so openly but we're doing this because it needs to be talked about yeah and we're not alone 
Nobody's alone in this. So many women are going through this experience. So I guess that's a great point for stopping. I mean, we could probably keep going and on and talking about this topic, but we do have to wrap our podcast. Yeah, so we, we are grateful for this opportunity to talk about this topic. And we will be providing some resources in the show notes. So check those out. And to all the women out there that have had this experience or are going through this experience or know someone that has gone through this experience, just know you're not alone. We're all in this together and you have our support. So reach out to us if you need someone to talk to. Reach out to other women in your life. You'd be surprised once you start scratching the surface, you'll find that we all understand and we've been through this or know someone who's been through this so we're in this together you're not alone and thank you Anne, for joining us of course i really appreciate you being here and you sharing your stories and your wisdom so thank you so much for listening if you like us please subscribe to our podcast and give us positive feedback you can also visit our webpage, femsouth.com, and that's femsouth with two M's. We post our book reviews on our website as well, so if you want to check out the book that we've been talking about, Mother Nature, Maternal Instincts, and How They Shape the Human Species by Sarah Blaffer Hardy, we will have that on our website as well. If you want to reach out to Amaya or myself, like Amaya said, if you want to send us a comment or um, talk to us more about your experience, we have a Fem South Facebook page. Thanks for listening and join us next time on Fem South. South.